It's TechBiter Worldwide with Bill Flynn. The latest on programs and policies, helpful hints, and a bit of occasional nonsense. All in more or less plain English. Podcast number 792 for the 13th of May, 2022. This week, digitizing film negatives by scanning them will almost always reveal dust spots and may reveal scratches. Fortunately, there's a way to reduce or eliminate these if your scanner and your scanning software support infrared scanning. In short circuits, when you're nervous about installing a new application, the Windows Sandbox offers a way to test the new application without concern, but only with Windows Pro or Enterprise editions. Adobe Premiere Pro is used by professionals to create full-length motion pictures, but it's also a great choice when you're working with digitized home videotapes. And 20 years ago, only on the website, batteries have always been a problem with mobile devices. In 2002, technicians were looking for answers. Anyone who has scanned any old photo negatives has probably encountered the presence of dust and scratches. The application you use to scan the negatives can probably help remove these unwanted marks. I'll be talking about ViewScan here, even though it's not the only application that can reduce or eliminate dust spots and scratches. Silverfast can also do the job, but I have three scanners and three operating systems. That would mean I'd have to purchase six Silverfast licenses to allow the use of all three scanners on all three operating systems. Depending on the Silverfast version and how many scanners and computers I'd want to support, the cost would range from $300 to $1,800. Even so, only the Windows 11 and Mac OS computers would be supported, not Linux. ViewScan works with more than 6,500 scanners and can be installed on every computer I own for just $100. It runs on Linux in addition to Windows and Mac OS computers. So, the decision was easy. Let's look at the process in action. Preparation can reduce dust spots, but won't have any effect on scratches. Removing any dust that's on the negative before scanning it will reduce what the cleanup process will have to do. So, presuming you're using a negative holder and either a 35mm film scanner or a flatbed scanner that can scan negatives, start by using a brush that's designed for use with film on both sides of the film. Follow that by using a handheld air bulb to blow any remaining dust away. Don't use canned air. It's expensive and it can create some additional problems. If you'll be scanning a lot of negatives, buying a small air compressor could be a good investment. No matter how diligent you are, there probably will be at least a couple of dust spots. And if there are scratches, they will appear in the scans. In a perfect world, scratches would never happen. Before digital cameras existed, professional photographers sent their film to professional labs, Mizell in Dallas or Burrell in Crown Point, Indiana, for example. Both of those labs appear to have closed down. Professional labs maintained their processing equipment so that negatives were returned to photographers without dust 
four scratches. After all, the initial prints were just the beginning for professional photographers. The goal was to sell additional prints and enlargements, so the negatives had to be in pristine condition. Not so for drugstore processing. Many people never had enlargements made, and some even threw the negatives away. So if the negatives were scratched after the initial prints had been made, it wasn't a big deal. As long as the original prints didn't look too bad, everybody was happy. Now some of us are resurrecting those old negatives and scanning them. Instead of viewing a small handheld print, we see the image on a large monitor, and the problems become obvious. The solution, at least for color negatives, is ViewScan's infrared clean option. This requires a scanner that's capable of performing an infrared pass, and it doesn't work for most black and white negatives. On the TechPatter Worldwide website this week, we'll take a look at the process in operation. ViewScan makes a couple of passes. The first pass converts the film scan from negative to positive, but it still leaves a strong blue cast that's the result of inverting the orange cast of color negative film stock. If you check the TechFinder Worldwide website, you'll see a scratch that occurred during the film processing or after the film was processed and being put into an envelope. And check out the adjacent image. It shows ViewScan's initial results. The color is reasonably accurate at this point, and most of the dust spots are gone. The scratch, although reduced somewhat, is still there. After opening the ViewScan image in Lightroom Classic, it's clear that ViewScan has eliminated some of the scratch. A few seconds worth of work with Lightroom's tools repaired the remaining bits of the scratch. The final step involved improving the contrast. The result that you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website, while not quite perfect, is a good example of what can be done with a 37-year-old negative that was in far less than perfect condition. But how does this magic work? Some film scanners can create an additional infrared channel in addition to the red, green, and blue channels. The infrared channel detects scratches and dust. Once identified, the defects can be corrected. The larger the imperfection, the more obvious the corrections will be, though. IBM developed and patented the first process for infrared cleaning. Applied Science Fiction licensed the technology, which is used in some Canon scanners under the name Film Automatic Retouching and Enhancement, or FARE, F-A-R-E. Both LaserSoft and ViewScan used technologies that they created independently. Color film has three color layers, and the dyes used are mostly transparent to infrared light. This means the infrared scan will appear to be almost black, except for where the film has dust spots or scratches. These appear as lighter areas on the scan. The most common way to remove dust spots and scratches involves interpolating data from the surrounding areas. That's why the larger repairs are less successful. Infrared cleaning isn't possible with black and white film that uses silver halide because unlike color dyes, silver halide is not transparent to infrared. Toward the end of the film era, some black and white films such as Ilford XP1 and the later XP2 used dyes instead of silver halide. These films were processed in C41 chemistry and could be included with runs of color film. Ilford XP2 is still being sold, but Kodak's competing dye-based black-and-white film called BW400CN was discontinued in 2014. Ilford is the only source of those films now. 
Infrared cleaning does work with these chromogenic black and white films, but the scanner needs to be set to scan color negatives, and the scans will need additional work to eliminate unwanted color in an application like Adobe Lightroom Classic. I started scanning old prints and negatives in January 2021 and sharing new sets of images every day with family members by uploading the processed images to Google Drive. So far, that's more than 7,500 individual pictures and a few videos from old VHS and Super 8 tapes. These memories are important. Old film, old prints, old movies, and old videotapes won't last forever. So now is a good time to pull them out of storage and digitize them. Your daughters and sons will appreciate it someday. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, if you're sometimes nervous about installing a new application on a Windows computer, there's a way to test it first without putting the computer at risk. Using the Windows Sandbox, you can install the application for testing in a safe location. The Sandbox is intended for use only with Windows 10 Pro and Windows 11 Pro, or Enterprise, but you may be able to install the function on a computer using a home version of Windows if you follow the instructions from 10 forums. There's a link to that on the TechBiter Worldwide website. So if you have a home version, you can give it a try, but it does definitely work with Pro versions of either Windows 10 or Windows 11. Prior to the sandbox function, testing software in a protected area required the creation of a virtual machine. But setting up a virtual machine isn't particularly easy, and Microsoft introduced the sandbox with Windows 10 version 1903. The sandbox is isolated from the computer's operating system, and everything in the sandbox is vaporized when you close it. The Sandbox can be activated on any computer that supports virtualization and is running Windows 10 or Windows 11 Pro or Enterprise. And maybe, as I noted previously, it might be able to be activated on Windows Home. Maybe. Before trying to install the Sandbox, confirm that your computer does support virtualization. To do this, open the Task Manager, select the Performance tab, and click the CPU component. A column on the right side of the display will tell you whether virtualization is enabled. It probably will be, because that's the default state for most new computers. If not, you will need to visit the CMOS settings and enable it. This differs a lot from one machine to another, so check the documentation for your computer. If the computer supports virtualization and is running a Pro or Enterprise version of Windows, you can enable the Sandbox easily by pressing the Windows key and R, then typing Optional Features as just one long word, and pressing Enter. 
Scroll down to the Windows Sandbox and enable it. Once you confirm the change, you'll see a progress bar, and then you'll be prompted to reboot the computer. The boot process will take more time than usual because an update process is involved. The Sandbox will then be installed and ready for use. To start the Sandbox, open the Start menu and type Sand. Either right-click the Windows Sandbox and choose Run as Administrator, or choose that option from the text area on the right. A new Windows screen will open on top of your desktop. The Start menu has only a few options, but it's otherwise a functional instance of Windows 10 or Windows 11. To install an application, you need to copy the installer file from the main computer to the sandbox. Dragging and dropping will not work. It's a security feature. Instead, open a file browser, locate the application you want to run or install, press Ctrl-C to copy it, activate the sandbox by clicking it, and then press Ctrl-V to drop the file onto the desktop. Double-click the file to run it or start the installer if it's an installable program. If the installer needs access to the Internet, it may or may not work. And I'll have more about that in just a moment. In most cases, the file will either run or the installer will launch and walk you through the normal installation process for the application. Then you'll be able to use the file normally. If you open the File Explorer in the sandbox, everything will look reasonably normal, except that any external disk drives will not appear and none of your user accounts will be present. If you start the Settings app, you'll see that the Sandbox Windows Edition is the same as your computer's Windows Edition, but that it has only 4 gigabytes of RAM. And you may not have an internet connection either. This seems to be a relatively common problem. And there are articles about enabling an internet connection, such as one you'll find at Guiding Tech. There's a link to it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. But the problem may actually be with the built-in version of Microsoft Edge. There clearly is a network connection, because I was able to ping Microsoft's own Bing search engine from the command line, and when I installed the FTP client FileZilla, it worked flawlessly. The Vivaldi browser failed too, so it appears the problem involves proxy settings that are used by browsers. I'll resolve that problem if I ever need to use a browser in the sandbox. So far, I haven't. The Windows Sandbox is an excellent security feature because nothing is written to any disk anywhere on the computer, and anything you install in the sandbox will be deleted when you close it. So, when you have doubts about an application you'd like to try, installing it first in the sandbox can save you a lot of trouble. Adobe Creative Cloud includes a lot of applications, so many that subscribers may forget about ones they use infrequently or never. Take Premiere Pro, for example. It is a complex video production tool. It has been used to create motion pictures such as Deadpool, Gone Girl, and Terminator Dark Fate. So it would be easy to assume that it would simply be too complicated and hard to learn for projects such as digitizing old home movies or videotapes. Well, there's no question that it is complex and that mastering Premiere Pro can easily consume years. 
but it's an application that can be used by those who have little or no experience. When you need to accomplish an unfamiliar task, Google or DuckDuckGo will locate a tutorial for you. Here's an example. I had some old videotapes digitized. They were made with a video camera that used Hi8 videotape. The resulting digitized files had blank areas at the left and bottom edges of the frame. Now keep in mind, these are low-resolution standard NTSC files from the 1980s. Nothing can be done to fix the resolution, nothing at all. But they can be improved a bit. Premiere Pro allows the user to zoom in and reposition the image. This is a feature that's intended to be used to change the framing a bit with high-resolution 4K or 8K videos, but it can also help in a case like this. Zooming in just slightly while maintaining the position of the top right corner of the video fully fits the frame and eliminates those blank areas. There are powerful video and audio transition effects that can be applied between clips after extraneous parts have been removed. This video also had a section where the audio was far too quiet, and that can be remedied directly in Premiere Pro. And for more advanced audio editing, the soundtrack can be edited in Audition. Controls to adjust color, brightness, gamma, and other video settings are primarily designed for use when the video has been captured in RAW mode with a professional-grade camera, such as the Sony PXW-FX9K, which is available at Walmart for just $15,197. Or maybe the RED camera, DSMC2 Gemini Digital Cinema Camera Kit, priced at $27,500 and not available from Walmart. Even so, these controls can be used to make modest improvements to antique NTSC videos, such as mine. A slight adjustment to the gamma setting improved a too-dark original image to a visibly brighter image without otherwise degrading the image. After eliminating blank areas at the beginning and end of the digitized video, editing to remove unwanted sections of the video, adding some transition effects between scenes, improving the audio, and brightening the video, it was time to export the old video in its new and improved state. The export process in Premiere Pro has been simplified greatly. It is now suitable for use by people who aren't video or motion picture professionals. All of the settings for professionals are still there, but they're in the background. Once the export process is complete, the video can be uploaded to a video sharing service. The video I was working on was of a Girl Scout puppet show that included music that would constitute a copyright violation if I attempted to share it publicly. But a video such as this can be shared privately on YouTube. It will generate a notice about copyright issues, but it's legal as long as it's not shared publicly and you don't try to monetize it. You won't encounter any copyright issues with 20 years ago, but it's only on the website. Direct your browser to the TechBiter Worldwide website and read about battery developments in 2002. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn. There's more on the website, techbiter.com, and if you have a question or a comment, use the contact link you'll find there. Stop by again next week for another session.